Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Madrigal at the Movies with Rob and Rob. I'm one of your hosts, Peter Madrigal. Hey, guys, and I'm Rob Federick. Happy to be here. Rob Schulte here, same as any other day, except not. Rob, you brought something to the table today, and I would like you to let us know what's happening on this special episode. Yes, we are honored to have our first official guest on Madrigal at the Movies with Rob and Rob, and he is such an amazing talent, a wonderful person. Let's give it up, everybody, for the co-creator of Phineas and Ferb, Milo Murphy's Law, Dan Pobbenmeyer. Wow, yeah. Wow, I better be impressive now. Yes. (laughs) So, Dan, we are really excited to have you on. Um, Obviously, you have a long list of credits in the film and animation world, and we definitely want to hear a little more about that. And uh, we'd love to share some of the animated movies that uh, inspired us growing up. Uh, but if you could tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, if they don't know about you already, because you're a, you're a pretty popular guy. So Yeah, well, I, most people know me as the, uh, the co-creator of Phineas and Ferb on Disney Channel and the voice of Dr. Doofenshmirtz. But, uh, but I also co-created Milo Murphy's Law on Disney Channel, which not as many people, well, actually it wasn't on Disney Channel, it was on Disney XD, which is why not as many people have seen it. And, uh, and I worked on, I was a director and storyboard supervisor on Family Guy for like six years. I worked on, uh, on SpongeBob as a writer and a storyboard artist. And before that, uh, Rocco's Modern Life, Cat Dog. The Simpsons, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I've just been drawing uh, silly cartoons for a living for the last I love it. <laughs> 20 or 30. I, I don't even want to count how many years since, uh, since the 80s. <laughs> I think 87 may have been when I started on the, on the Ninja Turtles. That's awesome. And before that, wait, before that, yeah. I actually did uh, um, animation. I animated the opening credits and a, and a couple scenes in Adam Sandler's very first movie. And That's in, true. And oh Tommy Chong. Going Overboard? Is yes, Going Overboard. And oh I appear in that movie as He's a member of the movie. band Yellow Teeth. Yeah. Oh, my God. I, I fondly remember watching... That scene where you uh, are in Yellow Teeth and you're playing, and, and my you hair have is this so long, so long, and have the best like head guitar bob like I've ever seen yes. uh, rock out before. It was it was kind of amazing. Yeah, so. it's, it's very funny. I should I should get a clip of that and put it on TikTok or something because that's yeah. it's like can anybody recognize anybody in this picture? Because nobody will. <laughs> like my first work in animation was actually for Tommy Chong. Uh, in uh, in Far Out Man, which was his first movie without Cheech, you remember Cheech and Chong. This was the this was his first movie by himself, and although Cheech appears in it, um, and it was just a, a hippie land amusement park uh, that uh, that I <laughs> animated in sort of the style of. He said, "I like I like your style, maybe like a cross between your style and Gilbert Sheldon, who did the Fabulous Furry Freak Brothers." And I said, "Oh yeah, of course." And then I had to like go and look up the Fabulous Furry Freak Brothers and see what the heck he was talking about. And they were sort of close to my style, so so it all worked. Nice. So I hear that you did a uh, animated version of Rocky Four. Is that is that true? My first ever gig in a real movie was doing a. Um, uh, a sports cartoon that was on a prop newspaper that animated towards the front of the, uh, like in one of those montages. 
I did a I did a sports cartoon for for that that was like uh, it ended up we did went went through several different versions, but it ended up being uh, Rocky with this young fighter that he was he was uh, training as a puppet on his hand, and and it's sort of it's sort of a turning point in in that young fighter's uh, character arc in the movie because he sees that and he starts getting angry. And it, it it sort of leads to this big dissolution of their friendship, but wow. uh, but I I got that gig because a friend of mine from school where I'd done a, a, a comic strip uh, worked at Life Magazine, and somebody there called to see if they had any cartoonists there, and she's like, "Have you ever read this magazine? There's no cartoons." Oh, wait a minute, I do know somebody though, <laughs> and, she, <laughs> and she gave them my my number, and I and. Uh, and they went out to like 10 different cartoonists. I drew a cartoon and handed it in and they chose me, but the prop master said, okay, um, but, but Sylvester has some notes that he wants to give you. Could you come to the set of Rocky five and get notes from Sylvester? And I'm like, can I make time out of my busy schedule to meet with the, like the, the biggest movie star in the world for most of my uh, adolescence? <laughs> yeah, I think I can, you know, like, I think I can do that. And it was the, fu- it's a, it's a story I tell all the time because I, I came in and it was, it was Rocky's gym or, it's, or Mickey's gym was the set and Rocky is there. It's, it's, it's Sylvester Stallone, but he's dressed as Rocky. He's got, you know, he's, he's got the pork pie hat and everything like that. And, and, uh, and I'm meeting with the, uh, the producer and, uh, and John Avildsen, who has, uh, um, who directed the first Rocky and they call to Sylvester, Hey, Sly, come on, come over, come over. And he, and he sort of trots over and says, you know, and puts his hand out to, to say, nice to meet you. And, and I just remember him starting to say, they say, Oh, you, he, this is the cartoonist. You had some, uh, some notes you wanted to give. And he went, Oh yeah, I think maybe that one can Holy crap, I don't understand a word this man is saying. I can't ask him to repeat himself because I'm pretty sure I still won't understand it. Plus, he's standing two feet in front of me and he's speaking English. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, if worse comes to worse and you can never understand a word he says, you can just smile and nod and say, okay, yeah, sure. And then let him go away and then ask these two guys who are also in this little three foot circle that we're, that we're in. They obviously speak Stallone at this point yeah. <laughs> that they can, they can interpret for you. But I didn't want to do that. I wanted to be able to actually have a conversation. So I'm listening for any phrase that I can hear him say. And I hear him say, key. And I was like, Are you, like a key? And he goes, yeah, like a key. Like, I was like, oh, like a wind-up key. You want to you wanna do like, uh, and so we did a version of him like winding the, winding the other boxer up like a, like a toy. And he was, yeah, like a key. That'd be great. Was like, okay, great. Fine. You know, and somehow I had, I had heard the one syllable that allowed me to understand what he was, he was going to say. And then he leaves and I breathe a sigh of relief. And no sooner does he get out of earshot then these two guys on either of my shoulders turn to me and in unison say, what did he say? Oh God, thank God. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't depending on them. No kidding. You almost probably put yourself up on a pedestal to sly there because you were able to respond to what he was saying where everyone else was probably just nodding their heads going, yep, yes, exactly. yep. <laughs> he was like, that guy's really bright. I came here tonight. I didn't know what to expect. 
what what inspired you to create Phineas and Ferb? I'm I'm very curious. I always say it's sort of the, the midpoint between the last two shows I was in, which was which was Family Guy and uh, SpongeBob. I feel like it's the artistic and comedic midpoint there. It's got a little bit of prime time animation feel, but still sort of wacky animation. I, you know, I, I, me and Swampy, my my partner on on Rocco really enjoyed writing together. We wanted to continue to write together. We knew this show was going to end. So we said, we should create a show together and then we can just work together forever and we'll never have to work apart, which of course didn't work out. It took us 13 years to sell it. But, you know, I, I, I was just doing a lot of doodling for characters. What could we come up with that, that, that we liked? And then I was uh, in a restaurant in South Pasadena and they, they give you butcher paper with a little can of crayons to doodle while you're waiting for your food. And, uh, and I had this purple crayon, and I was just figuring out whether I could draw a character that was based on a triangle, because I'd never seen that. <laughs> uh, you know? And I was like, let me just, how would I even draw that? I drew a triangle, and I drew the eyes up there, and then suddenly, like, oh, okay. Oh, that, this looks really good. And I drew, liked it so much, I drew him three more times, and, and my wife said, ooh, who is that? And I said, and I swear to God, this is my, these were exact, my exact words. This is Phineas. This is the show I'm going to sell someday. I said the Holy exact crap. sentence at, at the time, wow. not realizing that was really true. <laughs> that original drawing still exists, doesn't it? Yeah, it's in my. It's uh, hanging in my uh, in my hallway right now. That's amazing. Do you ever like look back sometimes and go like, "Wow, how how far?" Because. Phineas and Ferb is a real, uh, it's a real inspiration to a generation of kids that like are now in their what, like early twenties or, or so. Yeah, it, it was for a generation for a very specific, you know, five to ten year age group. It was their Scooby Doo. It was the it was the show that everybody was watching and talking about at school the next day and memorizing and stuff like that. And those kids are all now nineteen to twenty four, twenty five, something something like that. Yeah, a major influence on that generation. Yeah, if I go on TikTok and just search up some of the songs or any of the lines from the from the show that were were popular, I end up seeing like literally hundreds and sometimes thousands of people doing videos to those songs. And wow, I imagine I might be the oldest person on TikTok with over a million <laughs> followers. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> but also tell our listeners who you voice. Specifically, I do Dr. Doofenshmirtz in, 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 uh, in Phineas and Ferb. He's the evil scientist who fights Perry the Platypus. That's me. <laughs> I got to say about Phineas and Ferb, I love the format of the show that you always get the A and B story and how that they always intersect towards the end. And it's just such a like comforting way to watch the show. Was that how you guys always planned it? Or did that come out in a different way? Yeah, I, I think it sort of came, it became much more a structure when we did the pilot. Uh, we, we had this idea that whatever Doofenshmirtz and Perry were doing would somehow take it away. We wanted that whole snuffleupagus thing of Candace always wanting to show mom what the boys are doing and then it having it just, just be gone because we loved the snuffleupagus when we were kids. And, uh, and, and that sort of became this very sort of familiar structure. We, we would sometimes play with that structure and do other things. But for the most part, that was, that, that was what you could expect to have happen. Phineas and Ferber making something spectacular in the backyard. Candace is trying to get mom to see it so that they'll get in trouble. 
and uh, and just so it'll be fair because she figures if I made that, she would see it. And uh, and Doofenshmirtz and Perry are off fighting somewhere, and right before Mom sees it, something that Doofenshmirtz and Perry are doing will inadvertently take away all evidence of it having ha- having existed. <laughs> and and we found that like the formula that worked best was the closest you could you could make these two moments the last time that candace sees the thing in the backyard and and the moment where where candace's mom turns you know like 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 shows up and it's gone the closest we could make that the funnier it was it was like it was always best if she was running three steps ahead of mom look to make sure it was there turn back to mom and said look and then turn back around and it was gone if we could do that it was always the ultimate way to make that gag work what animated movies inspired you to start animating because i for me it was uh i was into knights and knighthood so yes. i really really loved Sword in the Stone, the Disney animated oh, yeah. version. Yeah. That was one of my favorite movies. What was one of the uh, animated films that inspired you to get into this creative space? I think that the first animated movie that I just fell in love with and watched over, and I don't even know if I watched it over and over again, but I had a record that had the whole story in it and a storybook, and I memorized all the songs, was Jungle Book. Now I'm the king of the swingers, oh, the jungle VIP. I, we covered that in my band in the middle of another song. <laughs> we were doing another song and then we'd do this musical break and I would somehow tell a story that would lead into that and we'd do that, do that song and come, come back out of it. But the, uh, a lot of weird jazz chords in that song, actually. But that's part of why we always wrote songs for, for the shows. You know, like for, for, you know, for Phineas and Ferb, we wrote over 350 songs. Wow. And wow. uh, and for Milo, I, I I wrote fifty to hundred songs for that. And uh, part of the reason we do that is because like things on on TikTok, there's all these people doing still doing lip syncs to to songs that we wrote twenty years ago. And that's sort of like the closest you get to immortality. I think you know it's like I I don't remember a single plot line from the Archies, but I can sing you know sugar ba da da dum bum yeah. bum ah. Uh, you know what I mean, and uh, and so to me, that's that, that's what you want. You want to be able to come up with something that that sticks in people's heads and they'll remember years later. And that's what you know, like that's what I remember the most from the Jungle Book. Is remember what I remember most from most of those Disney movies are the songs. The songs get get stuck in your head in a way that uh, nothing else does, and it you know, and it brings you right back to that moment. I think part of the reason Phineas and Ferb is so popular on Disney Plus right now is because it's from a time where life was simpler for these 19 to 24 year olds. And and it's like, they watch that and it brings them back to that moment in their life immediately. You know, they hear that they hear those songs and it's, and they're back in the back of their, their mom's van listening to the Phineas and Ferb soundtrack, you know? It's, it's also amazing too, because like, I feel like now with uh, pop culture and like meme culture, let's say, right. There are so many memes that pop up about Phineas and Ferb because it was such a show about imagination and summer and like childhood and all this like great, these great aspects that I feel like they tie it into the ideology, like you said, of a simpler time. And the meme culture has just exploded with these. And then you get like weird, creepy pasta memes. Yeah. Where they're like, you know, Phineas and Ferb was based on the diary of a dead Russian girl who was schizophrenic. 
(laughs) (laughs) Once she died, her mom took the diary to Disney and said, can you make a cartoon out of this? Because that's how you sell a show. (laughs) (laughs) Is that the uh, craziest theory you've heard? Because I think we've we've discussed this before. I've, I've always brought up the one theory that you can address on our podcast. But is that the craziest one? Uh, I think that is the, the, the weirdest one because nobody thinks it through at all. And peop, people, there was a, a while for like a year and a half where I was answering that question almost every day on Twitter. With like, is this wow, true? God. You know, and they put, put it up there and say, no, it's not freaking true. And finally, one day I just said, I just, I just posted that meme myself. And I said, so I guess I got to go to work and troll through a dead Russian girl's diary. <laughs> 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 more story ideas apparently and i just put it up there and i think that sort of stopped it <laughs> yeah. but, all right like, so let's clarify for our listeners because there's yes. one theory that always pops up right guys is is professor doofenshmirtz phineas's biological father that we don't know about oh jesus oh yeah here's the thing about that theory it makes a lot of sense <laughs> and had i thought about it at the time I might have actually done that. I think you know, <laughs> except for the fact that we made it impossible in the canon of the show because right. because you know, and part of it stems from there's an episode w- that goes back in time and we see that Doofenshmirtz and Linda Phineas's mom had a blind date. But oh. at the end of that we t- say very specifically that they never saw each other again. The, the date goes horribly and even if they had you somehow consummate <laughs> after this horrible date, you know, when she says, take me home, you know, maybe, you know, uh, Phineas and, and Candace are full brother and sister. So if they never saw each other again, there's no possible way. Huh? Well, that was almost weirder than the giant robot. Hey, Dan, I'd like to uh, take it back a little bit to what Peter was talking about. I love that the Jungle Book record book inspired you, but did you find anything else as you grew up and developed your craft a little bit that you kind of kept turning back to? Well, to me, like as far as drawing goes, Chuck Jones is sort of the be-all and end-all to me of drawing for animation. Uh, Even when I was working on shows that were much more structured like the Simpsons or, 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 you know, like where, where the characters are very sort of solid shapes and there's not a lot of squash and stretch. I would always try to, you know, I would, I would put posted on top of posted on top of posted drawing the characters to, uh, to get like the line of action and the line, you know, it's, it's to get a really strong, perfect pose. There's a point where you can push it and suddenly, okay, now all the lines are giving me as much energy as I can. Uh, there's that and just the Chuck's timing and his smart, smart, smart jokes uh, are sort of what we strove for in, uh, in Phineas and Ferb. That's really cool. Rob, um, you know, Peter mentioned his inspiration. Uh, Dan mentioned his. What, did you have an animated movie that you grew up on that, like, inspired you? Well, there was a lot of animated shows that it seems Dan has been a part of right. that <laughs> influenced me. But uh, if I were to point to, like, a film, uh, I'm a big uh, mythology, folklore type guy. And I remember Aladdin came out. At right. the perfect time for me in my age that merged, you know, comedy oh, yeah. with Disney. And that's how I learned about A Thousand and One Nights. And then it led me to like 
you know, Greek mythology after that and all these other things. So I kind of put Aladdin as like this cornerstone for me on like a lot of fun things that I enjoy. That's awesome. During that second renaissance of Disney animation movies, uh, Aladdin was always sort of put second after second or third after Beauty and the Beast and Little Mermaid, which are both really great movies. But I think that Aladdin, storytelling-wise, timing-wise, everything, that was my favorite Disney movie of all time for a very, very, very long time. Maybe Tangled may have have pushed it out the top, out the top because I think Tangled is an underrated movie on every level. Yeah. The thing uh, about Aladdin too is it's the first Disney buddy comedy if you think about it. Oh, yeah, wow, true. yeah. Like that first animated buddy comedy, you know? And the other thing is that every other princess movie, every other movie that about about the boy and the girl getting together that they that they did before that and even after that, even Beauty and the Beast and stuff, um was really about okay this girl is going to go marry is going to fall in love with this guy because they're both beautiful and they you know he's the prince and she's the, the princess and they sort of shortcut that relationship whereas uh, Aladdin and Jasmine get together the way a, that people really get together is they just really click personality wise and the writing and the animation of them getting together and, and the little verbal play and when they're sparring with each other is something that I had not seen really before in, in Disney movies where, where the girl has a real personality and, and that's what draws them together. I just really felt like that felt like a real relationship. Robin Williams is eating up the screen and Eric Goldberg's animation is... is is just tearing it, tearing it down. It's so, so good. And, uh, and to me, that was always my favorite American animated movie. But Tangled did a, a really, really great job at using CG, 3D CG animation in a way that felt very warm, like it was all drawn by hand. That's interesting. By actual Disney artists. You know, it's like it had that nostalgic feel of, oh, this is how good a Disney movie can be and how a Disney movie makes me feel. Yeah. But it, it's like they just waved a magic wand over it and suddenly it was, it was all in 3D. Um, and, you know, a lot of that is because Glenn Keane went and drew over, you know, they created a program so that wow. have animators work and then he would draw over the, the key poses on his Cintiq and they would go and adjust it so that it would it would all hit that so perfectly. Wow, that's impressive. That's a really good technique. That's awesome. That's amazing. Rob, what were some of your influences? So for me, when I was a little kid, I really enjoyed watching the original, like you know, like Sleeping Beauty because of, oh yeah, I, again, I liked medieval culture. I loved. Uh, knights and stuff like that and I, there was something about that scene of Prince Philip going into Maleficent's castle and fighting her as a dragon and cutting the thorns that I just it, it just captivated me Disney had a wonderful darkness away, like to it that was really great but then in 1993 came or 1992 sorry came the Lion King great movie and, and I think you know it's basically Hamlet the sure. story but what captivated me was Hans Zimmer's score. He won it the Oscar for just, that. Yeah, it blew me away. I think one of my favorite scenes in movie history ever, not animated movie history, is Simba taking Pride Rock and like giving out that roar. It's like, I'm getting chills thinking about it right now because it's just 
so visually epic and the animation is beautiful, but the music really captivated me. And that really changed everything for me. I think that the Lion King really cemented in me like, wow, like, like a pow- there's power behind animation. That's so true. Hey, guys, I love that we're talking about all of our influences, but I would love for Dan to let us know uh, about this new movie that's come out. Oh, yeah. Yes, please. It's uh, it's Phineas and Ferb, uh, the movie, Candace Against the Universe. And, and uh, you know, five years after finishing the series, we did a finale and everything, uh, The Disney calls up and says, uh, the, the head of the channel calls up and says, Okay, they're, they're doing this new streaming service. They didn't even have a name for it yet. They want everybody to contribute, you know, uh, content. And we've been thinking because what they want is something that the whole family can watch together, that, that the adults and the, and the teenagers and the, and the 10-year-olds and the 5-year-olds can all watch together. And, uh, and the one thing that we had that checked all those boxes for us was was Phineas and Ferb. So would you like to make a movie with those characters? And, you know, we were we were a little tired of them by the time we finished with <laughs> the series. But then in the ensuing five years, we started really missing them. And, uh, and we we're like, yes, that sounds like a lot of fun, actually. But then we got together in a, in a writer's room and spent two weeks, you know, with people pitching different stories and me going, no, nope, Nope, we did that first season, did that third season, did that wow. twice, <laughs> you know, like that. Like <laughs> trying to come up with what other story can we tell? So, so we came up with a, a you know, because Phineas and Ferb was always motivated by the boys trying to do something fun. And because it was a big feature, we wanted to, to have there be real stakes. And, uh, and I was like, let's do something where, where somebody is put into jeopardy and that's what drives the story. If, you know, let's do a rescue story. Let's, let's have, Candace gets kidnapped by aliens and taken to this faraway planet and the boys have to go save her and bring her back. And, you know, the, the, and, and so we worked really hard at getting some big stakes in the movie and, and getting some big character arcs, but, uh, and getting people to really low points. Candace gets to a really low point in this movie. But uh, so that we can bring her back up, and that's where you, you know that's where you get that lump in the throat from people. But uh, but it was uh, uh, it was the the impetus on us was to do that, but still make it fun and feel like a Phineas and Ferb movie. And I think it I think it really does. I think I'm so proud of this movie. I think it's one of the best things I've ever done. Oh, that's and, incredible. Yeah. So so I can't wait for all these people. You know, because because we tried to make it so that if you were a young kid who had not ever seen Phineas and Ferb before, you, it would be a great entry point and you would go and watch the whole series after, yeah. <laughs> after watching this movie because it's all available on Disney+. Plus. It, you know, and uh, there's like 222 episodes and seven hour long specials. Uh, right. But if you were a big fan of Phineas and Ferb, it will be extra special for you because there's lots of Easter eggs. There's lots of the references to things. That uh, that you you know you'll get all the jokes if you watched every episode of the show, but uh, but you'll get most of the jokes if you if you didn't. It's still it's it's still lots of fun. Okay, that's that's perfect. It blurs the lines completely. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's for adults and it's for kids and stuff. And and w- 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 there's a there's a gag in it that is so meta and strange, and it sort of involves the breakdown of 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 reality and 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 uh, sort of a nod to yes, we're actually in a cartoon kind of thing. 
that the executives always hated and kept wanting me to cut. And I kept saying, this is the Monday morning gag. This will be, for the people who are fans of this show, this will be the quintessential gag in this, in, the, in, this sh- in this movie. And it'll be the thing that they all point to as their favorite. And they were like, I just don't feel it, you know, like that. I said, tell you what, let's just test it and see, you know, and, and, and <laughs> right, talk right. about it after the testing. And in the testing, they tested with a bunch of 19 to 24 year olds who grew up with Phineas and Ferb. And in that group, that was the number one favorite. Uh, favorite That's thing. awesome. And so when they came back and told us that in testing, me and Swampy just sort of remained quiet. We didn't do any, like, <laughs> like <laughs> but we were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was pretty sure that would be the one. So uh, you didn't get up and be like, I'll told you, told you, told you. (laughs) Well, Dan, this actually, this actually brings me back to like a story that you told me when I first met you, which was one of the best pieces of advice I think I've ever gotten from, you know, a mentor in the film world and stuff. Because, you know, we went to USC, Peter went to USC uh, as well. We went to film school. And I remember that when I was showing you some of the ideas initially that I had for the Riven uh, way before we actually made it into this little introductory short, you told me that. When you pitch something to executives, like the best thing that you could possibly do is know when to walk away. That really struck a chord with me because, you know, obviously you have a lot of passion, like you go in to pitch something, you want it to get made. But that idea of learning, you know, knowing to know when to walk away was something that stuck with me really well. And and you told me that you kind of had applied that initially when they were the executives were giving you notes about Phineas and Ferb. Several times. They they, they want to, you know, I, I did this pilot and they left me alone to do the pilot because uh, there was a bunch of shakeups going on higher up in the, in the company. So that nobody was paying attention. I did this pilot and it, and it tested through the roof. It was one of the best tastes. Test- I think at the time it was the best testing pilot they had ever had of any kind. And, uh, and suddenly everybody was like, Ooh, we may have a, we may have a hit, uh, you know, and then people, the tendency is for people to want their, put their fingerprints on it. And, and, that, you know, what they would do at, at Disney is they would test something and then they would change it a bunch. And I always felt like, well, look, it tested really well. Let's leave it the hell alone. <laughs> and, and I sat through like, a, like five or six meetings of hiring other designers to take a pass on what Phineas and Ferb should look like and stuff like that. And I finally left one of those meetings and I went to one of the executives and said, said, uh, I just want to let you know that you guys can make whatever show you want because you bought it. It belongs to you. But if you want me to come work on it, it's going to have to be the show I pitched you. Otherwise, quite frankly, I'll stay at Fox. I'll make more money this year if I stay at Fox. And they were like, oh, um, uh, and then suddenly people were calling, <laughs> making, talking me down off this ledge, which I wasn't a ledge. I was just like, this is my line in the sand. You know, I want to make the show that I pitched you that tested really well. And, and so I, so I didn't take any notes that I felt like I shouldn't take on, on Phineas. And there've been a couple times where I've had to, had to pull that, you know, that out of the hat and say, well, okay, you can make whatever you want, but I, I can't do this. And you kind of went with your gut on a lot of this stuff. But part of it is that, that in any creative argument, the person who has the most passion always wins in a, in a writer's room, the most passionate voice always wins and none of the executives are going to be as sure of their note as you are of yours if you're willing to walk away from money. Yeah, that makes so much sense. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like they're, not, they're not so wrapped up in their little note 
that they would quit their job for it. And, and if you were saying, oh, it's okay, look, no, no hard feelings, I can just go work elsewhere. And, and they go, oh, wait, you know, so, so I think it's a good, like, if you want to get into, into film, that was the best advice I ever got. I got it from Adam Rifkin. He said, he said the, the most amount of power you can maintain in this industry as somebody who doesn't hold the purse strings is to always be okay to walk away from a project. But, but I also say, that does not mean you should not work and play well with others. Right. You know, and, right. and quite frankly, if, a, if an executive gives you a pitch for a joke or for a, for a scene and it works, you should take it. Even if somebody else gives you a pitch that's as good, you should take it. If somebody gives you a better pitch, you should take that. Right. You know, but because it will buy you so much goodwill and it gives them a sense of ownership over it. And when you don't take a note, there's a formula for that, right? There's a, it's sort of how you don't take the note. You don't say, no, I'm going to do this. Like improv, it's yes and instead of no. And it's like, and that's what, what you're really doing in those rooms where you're really batting things around and trying to make them better is you're really doing improv. So don't say no to stuff. Just say, okay, this gave me this idea. That's the, 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 the best way to do it because everybody just wants... You have to remember that executives in entertainment are executives in entertainment because they want to be part of the, the entertainment. They, they want to make, make stuff that entertains the world. That's one of the coolest things about this job. Uh, so they don't want to tear down what you're doing. They just, you know, they just want to be part of the process. And if you, if, you, uh, if you make sure that they are part of the process and that they feel included, and it's the same thing for writers on your show. You know, so like you have to, you have to understand how the, all the egos work and, 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 and don't ignore people, make everybody feel like they're heard. And then you'll have a happy crew that's going to give you the best work that they can give you. Just, just always be positive with, with stuff instead of saying, oh, that sucks. You don't ever want to say something like that. Yeah. I like what, I like what you were saying about how, like, even if you, you need to draw a line in the sand and walk away, you don't have to give the Jerry Maguire exit. You can, yes, you can exactly. like still be polite or you can still be like, you know, I really appreciate working with you guys, but that's just something I don't want to do. Yeah, exactly. This, this, this is what I want, I'm willing to do, to, you know. And I, but I also, by the time I made Phineas and Ferb, I was sort of a bull in a china shop. I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of cocky anyway. Uh-huh. And, uh-huh. and, and, uh, and I always, I'm always absolutely sure I'm right. Yeah. So, you know, and I'm loud. Yeah, hey, I know the feeling. Uh. It's like, I, I literally said to them at one point in first season, I was like, I just want you guys to know that I take all of your notes as suggestions, but I'm the last person in the editing room. If you want something that absolutely has to be done some way, it's going to have to come from legal or from, you know, standards and practices. And even then I'm going to fight with them if they're not, if it's, if they're not making any sense. Well, it's always the best to like kill everybody with kindness. On my on on the show that I'm on, I'm, I've always been like one of those type of guys who um, who like always respected the crew and got there even on set even before they showed up. You know, it was um, that's the way I've always like viewed working in this industry. We have a actually we want to do a speed round really quick with you, Dan. Sure. You can answer in Doofenshmirtz voice if you want. Okay, I can do that. <laughs> and uh, we're just gonna ask you a couple little questions here. 
What is your favorite movie? Um, <laughs> well, Dan's favorite movie is Jaws, but I really like It's a Wonderful Life right up until the end when it gets ruined. <laughs> Because I, it, it was going so well, where where the where Mr. Potter got all the stuff. It's a it's a tragedy at the end. I, I it was going well, and then it turns sad at the end. Okay, <laughs> what is actually your favorite movie line? This was not a boating accident. <laughs> favorite director? That's a hard one. I, I it it shifts over the years. Probably Steven Spielberg, because he is the one that made me believe film was an art. How about favorite actor? Ooh, it might be Meryl Streep. She's never done anything that's not great. She actually lives up the street from me now. No kidding. That's the weirdest thing in the world. When I go for walks, I walk past Meryl Streep's house. I can't see it because the driveway goes up and over the hill. (laughs) Uh, And what about your favorite movie composer uh, michael giacchino i think that movie scores don't get really any better than the uh the incredibles before that it may have been jerry goldsmith for uh for planet of the apes or it might have been john williams for jaws which i think is an underrated score oh, yeah wow. that's true thank you for those answers and uh it's always cool to get everybody else's perspective yes. uh growing up and stuff like that um, Dan, also, what age did you start drawing at? I started drawing when I was two years old, uh, which at two, you're not even talking in sentences yet. You know, you're, you're, you get a few phrases in. But my mom kept stuff that I drew when I was two, which I never really understood until I saw I had kids of my own. And, and my kids are way above the curve as artists. And I still realized, oh, Oh, I get it because they're just making maybe a circle with, you know, you get a circle with two dots for eyes. And I was doing like, you know, that's a jaguar and it looks like a jaguar. That's a, that's a giraffe. It looks like a giraffe. It looks like a kid drew it, but it looks like a 10 year old kid. Wow. Drew it. Not a, not a two year old kid drew it. Like a 10 year old kid with some real art chops. That is just incredible. That is so cool. Dan, the other thing that I wanted to ask you was you have a, a long list of credits in animation and TV um, what was your favorite animated TV show to work in? Uh, other than obviously like your own creations, like, you know, which, which one did you have the most fun with? You think? I think, I think Rocco's modern life was a whole bunch of fun. That really felt like the inmates running the asylum. <laughs> it looked like the inmates on the, on the TV screen. I mean, I remember yeah. that, that show gave me like, I was like, what is going on here? That was a lot of fun. And and I had the best job probably on uh, on Family Guy because I was directing my own episodes, but I could also pick any sequence from somebody else's episode and take that and direct that. Or Seth would take a, a scene and go, hey, Peter's going to do the entire Shapoopy number from Music Man as, as his touchdown dance. I'm going to give it to you. I need you to do that. And, you know, so, so I was get, I, I got to do all the fun stuff and add whatever jokes I wanted. I, I was the only person on the art side there who was also allowed to write at all, which was, uh, which was really fun. Really cool. Well, Dan, I've got one more question in my hopper here for you. I would like to know how Psycho Cop 2 happened. Where, like, <laughs> just any anecdote you might have from that. I think that series is so great. Yeah. <laughs> Psycho Cop 2 was, uh, was something I, I had been doing. 
storyboards and second unit directing and and and, uh, and assistant editing and stuff like that for for a friend of mine's movies that he was making. They were all being produced by uh, Brad Wyman and Cassian Elwes. And Cassian was making straight to video movies. And Cassian is uh, Carrie Elwes's brother. Uh, oh wow! Okay, like Carrie Elwes from Princess Bride and Robin yes. Hood Men in Tights. Robin Hood yes, Men in Tights. Exactly. Yes. And, uh, yes. Adam said you should read some of Dan's scripts. He's written some scripts that are that, that are very very fun. And, and I was like, that's so cool! I get to give my script to a producer and see what he thinks. And he called up and he said, you know, I really like these scripts, but these are not the movies I want to make. Mm. The movie I want to make is Psycho Cop Two. I made Psycho Cop, and it made me a lot of money. Can you write something that can be shot in in uh, one week or oh, God. five days or something <laughs> like that? It can have no more than three locations and no more than this many people and stuff like that. And I was like, yes, yes, I can. And I, and I, but but the, the funny thing is, is that, that uh, I had also just gotten the job on The Simpsons. So I was going to work learning uh-huh. how to animate in a, you know, I'd never done that really in a in a studio environment before you know learning just how a studio works and and learning how to draw those characters all day and then i'd come home i'd have dinner and then i would write uh 10 pages that night and i finished the whole thing in like two weeks wow and, wow uh, uh or maybe even a, a week it was it was a furious pace turned it in and it got made which was which was which was hilarious and we just recently there was a screening at this little theater that does weird movie screenings in uh, in Hollywood. There was a, there was a screening there, and uh, and Adam, the guy the, the guy who directed that, uh, has gone on to a lot bigger and better things. He did the Chase with Charlie Sheen. He did Burt Reynolds' last movie. He did, and one of the actors who we've seen at all of these, we've done like three of these reunions now. Everybody was congratulating him on on his success. I was like, oh, what's what, what's uh, what's going on? And he's like. Oh well, I I I wrote and produced Green Book. Wow! Oh wow! <laughs> and wow! And I was like, "Did you?" And he said, "Yeah, it's about my dad." Wow! And all of that, asking all these stories, like all of those stories are absolutely true. The 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 movie is really a a, a pretty true to life wow. version of of what happened with his dad and his dad's best friend, who he grew up with. His dad's best friend was this concert pianist, and I was like, "Well." That's that's new. That's happened since the last time I saw yeah. you, like four years ago. And he's like, "Yeah, it was good. It's 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 been good." And the guy who played Psycho Cop is actually Bob Vance from Vance Refrigeration on oh, the Office. Yeah, <laughs> wow. So awesome. Oh, you're Ray Schaefer. That's amazing. So so you know, from from such humble beginnings. <laughs> that that happens. Well, thanks. That was awesome. Very cool. Very cool. Sure. Well, Dan, th- this has been incredible and like a lot of insight and stuff. Where can our listeners find you on uh, social media, by the way? Like mostly I'm mostly doing TikTok right now because I'm getting to make little movies, which is just f- more fun, I think. Right. Uh, I am Dan at Dan Pavenmeyer on Twitter and TikTok. For some reason, I am Dan.Pavenmeyer on Instagram. And we'll definitely put that in the show notes. Well, guys, this has been absolutely fantastic. Dan, I really appreciate you joining us today. Absolutely. It has been an absolute pleasure. No, it has been a really, really... This has been actually one of our... 
Actually, well, this has been our first interview, so this has been our best interview yet. <laughs> oh, excellent. <laughs> I hope I hold on to that title at least until you get another interview. There we go. All right, guys. The movie is Phineas and Ferb, Candace Against the Universe on Disney Plus, August 28th. Guys, if you haven't seen it, go ahead and see it and take it away, Dan. You have been listening to Madrigal at the Movies with Rob and Rob. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs>